You're listening to the greatest multifamily investment advice show. My name is Adam Ross, and now I'm talking everything multifamily for an in-depth conversation, and I will be diving deep into raising capital, deals, and underwriting process. Welcome back to the greatest multifamily advice show. Today we have Zachary Strite, capital advisor with more than 20 years on real estate syndication and lending. Please help me to welcome our guest today. How are you, Zachary? I'm doing well, Adam. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks so much for taking time today to speak to our audiences. So before we start on on, on capital uh, subject, I would like to start with uh, way capital uh, sure. beginnings and how you guys started all of the business. Sure, sure. So appreciate that. Um, so way capital is actually a newer company. And I joke that it's kind of a newer, uh, older company in a way. Uh, my partner, Malcolm Davies, and I, we started Way Capital in April of last year, April 2022. So I think we'll forever be known as the geniuses that started a new business at the top of the market. Um, but I, but I, I joke about that. Um, but what we are is we're a debt and equity capital advisory shop. So we focus on helping what we call entrepreneurial sponsors, commercial real estate owners and developers um, capitalize their projects. Uh, multifamily is a big asset class for us. We do some we do a lot of hospitality also. Those are our two main asset classes. But basically, our focus is um, helping arrange financing for deals that are typically between, let's say, 30 and $150 million, sometimes higher. Um, we can help arrange debt uh, or loans for deals. We can help arrange equity for deals. We can help arrange co-GP financing for deals. We're essentially an outsourced CFO service um, for our clients basically helping them navigate the capital markets. Um, and there's probably uh, no time in the recent memory that it's been tougher to navigate those markets than now. Um, so maybe we've become a little bit more valuable than before, but we've been in this business for a long time, uh, combined 15 years on the advisory side, a combined 40 years in the commercial real estate side. Uh, we were formerly at a, par- uh, a mid-sized firm out on the West Coast called George Smith Partners for many years. Um, and my partner, Malcolm, was a developer for many years before that. I worked on the principal side of the business, um, debt and equity, so both as an equity investor and a lender, for about 10 years myself before I started uh, working as an advisor uh, for the last um, seven years. But we were really excited to launch Way last year, and we had uh, one of our best years ever. Um, we closed $1.5 billion in financings that we arranged for our clients on probably assets with a total capitalization or projects with a total capitalization of let's say about two and a half billion. Um, and about a billion of that was uh, after we started Way Capital um, in April of last year. So we had a really good initial nine months of operations. Um, and you know we're really looking forward to 23. I think what, um, what makes Way unique and special is we're kind of a strategic firm. Um, we're debt and equity capital advisors only. So we don't do any investment sales. We don't do any leasing or any property management. Um, we're not principals ourselves. So we're not investing, you know, our own funds into deals, although we do invest our personal capital sometimes. We essentially are market makers for our clients. We help them find the optimal capital stacks, the optimal debt sources and equity sources to kind of um, help get their deals done. Um, we're also structured um, unlike most other firms that are out there. Um, so we're not part of a big brand. Um, we're wholly owned, just myself and my partner, Malcolm, capitalized our firm. And so when a fee comes in, we don't have to pay kind of, you know, 50 cents on the dollar to the house. We keep 100% of any fee that comes in, which is awesome. 
but we float a big overhead. Um, our, our biggest uh, cost center and, and our most important um, component of our business is really our human capital. And so we have a staff now that's, I think, probably 14 in total. So call it 11 or 12 folks that work directly for myself and my partner that run execution on all of our deals. And that is critical because it means that um, sponsors, clients, developers who are working with us are going to get access to maybe 10 folks touching a deal, which doesn't really happen in middle market shops. It maybe happens, you know, if you're doing a billion dollar deal with Eastill, but doesn't usually happen on a $50 million loan. Um, it means that we can answer questions from capital sources uh, quickly to help build momentum in the markets. And that's more important than ever before. So we really bring kind of outsized infrastructure and resources to the deals that we do. Um, and then I don't think anybody hustles like we do. Like I said, I've already been to three conferences this year and I must've had, I don't know, 150 meetings across all those three between myself and my partner. And we're only, I don't know, three or four weeks into the year. So, and that's regular for us. We are on the road a ton. Uh, we're meeting with clients, we're touring properties, we're meeting with capital sources to make sure that we uh, really have our finger on the pulse of the market on what's going on and, and how to best help our projects or our clients and their projects achieve like optimal capitalization um, in, in what's become a pretty difficult time. So I think that's, I think that's kind of way, way capital um, in a nutshell. I mean, I guess historically, again, it's been a lot of multifamily and hospitality, um, a lot of it's been Denver and West, but we opened up an office in Nashville in the Southeast. That's a big growth initiative for us um, to do more deals there because we don't think there are too many structured finance desks like ours that are out there. Um, and we have a long history in the space. We've probably done $10 billion, if not more, um, you know, as capital advisors, ignoring all the deals that we did when we were principals before that. So it's been a really, really successful run uh, and we're grateful for it and, and excited to you know, build on that kind of having kind of our own our own flag and, and our own company. Um, and you know, I I wouldn't change that for anything. Okay, so your 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 uh, sweet spot is basically is more with uh, sophisticated investors and uh, active investor within I think uh, thirty to hundred million dollar deals. And yeah. this spot, I would like to speak a little bit, and this is going to be really interesting subject to the audiences, is the type of equity and debt on this range of deals. It's uh, not the institutional size, but not in the starting point too. So on the equity part, uh, as a services of way capital, I think as as you mentioned before, as a pension plan, pension funds, uh, private equity fund, insurance company if you can a little bit uh elaborate on on this part of the equity part or the debt part sure. Is perfect sure happy to talk about uh, what we do on the equity side of the ledger so um i would say generally speaking there are two things that we do um on the equity side of the ledger um number one uh a lot of our clients come to us and say hey can you help me raise joint venture equity for our projects and number two, a lot of our clients need what's called co-GP financing uh, for their projects. And I'll, I'll talk about both in detail. So the first one is, is kind of a, I maybe more broadly understood. Um, it's essentially, you know, uh, trying to help find joint venture equity partners for deals. So when we do that, um, we typically are looking for deals that are, again, at least $30 million in size, but probably $50 million in size, just so that the equity check is at least, call it $10 to $15 million, if not more. And the uh, capital sources that we would go to for those deals are insurance companies, um, family offices, 
um, and private equity funds that are out there that are looking to invest, join venture equity, typically into multifamily development deals. Could be garden style deals, podium deals, built to rent deals, uh, micro unit deals, co-living deals, um, what have you. We've done kind of everything under the sun, uh, both on the equity and the debt side. Um, within joint venture equity, um, since 2018 or 2019, when legislation has passed, we've also arranged a fair amount of opportunity zone equity going into development deals uh, from opportunity zone funds that are out there. So we've probably done, I don't know, seven or eight of them, maybe more. Um, so that's another interesting source of joint venture equity. And um, today, I would say that's probably the most active equity capital out there because a lot of the equity capital that isn't Opportunity Zone is on the sidelines right now because there's too much market uncertainty. Opportunity Zone, though, um, has lower return thresholds, is long-term capital, and it also has a need to be deployed. Um, and that need is that there are tax benefits that go along with it. And if it isn't deployed in a certain period of time, um, it could lose those tax benefits. So we actually have a number of those deals that are ongoing right now. Um, so that's kind of the joint venture equity side of our business. On the co-GP side of our business, this is critical. So for kind of newer sponsorship groups that might not be super established or have really big balance sheets, um, we can help arrange co-GP financing. And this need arises if you're, call it doing a 30 or 40 or $50 million construction loan, you would need a net worth that's, you know, call it somewhere between 50% to 100% of that loan amount. So if you were doing a $50 million loan, you would need at least a $25 million net worth. The lenders would kill me for saying that. They'd tell you you'd need $50 million. Um, and you'd need, you know, probably 10% of that loan to be liquid for the life of the loan. And that's really hard, um, especially if you're a newer or younger developer. But that could be tough for any developer that's sort of asset rich and cash poor and wants to invest uh, their capital into deals. And so what we can do to help those guys do more deals is bring in a what we call a co-GP or a co-general partner. And what those guys will do is they will come in and they will sign on your construction loan for you um, and meet the sort of net worth and liquidity requirements that a lender needs. And that will allow developers to do more deals, scale their platform, or in the case of younger groups that are maybe breaking out of institutions and spinning off and kind of starting their own firms like we did um, to, to get their initial deals done you know, under their new flag um, and new banner. Um, and so what CoGPs will do is they'll essentially credit enhance the deal, they'll sign on the loan, sometimes they'll invest capital into the GP, um, et cetera. So those are the two main things that we do um, on the equity front. Uh, last thing I'd mention is on the CoGP front, it's a mix of sort of institutions and family offices that will do that primarily. Maybe there are more family offices active in that space than there are institutions. The checks tend to be small, but the returns can be really large. Uh, when you're doing a co-GP deal, you know, uh, typically guys in the GP can make, you know, are looking to make four or five times their money. Um, and so it can be a pretty lucrative place to sit and play in and that, that attracts folks to it. So uh, as a capital advisor on this sweet spot, are you guys dealing with more rates? Because this is basically the starting point for some of the REIT, the REIT uh, or uh, public offering in, in general. Uh -huh. So is this is like some service you guys do or just a more like a private equity, private equity, equity side? Yeah, good, good question. It, we don't really deal with REITs. So we don't do like investment banking type initial public offerings or secondary offerings or debt offerings. Um, all of our work is, is really in private real estate. Um, and, and, you know, we tend to work with a lot of private equity funds 
in a variety of capacities. Um, we might bring those private equity funds into deals where they are the joint venture equity partner, or maybe they're buying the real estate or starting a real estate, buying the real estate directly or starting a real estate project by themselves. Um, other ways we work with them is we often get hired by them to run a process to source debt financing for them on their deals. This has happened many times uh, where we kind of have a pretty deep knowledge of the capital markets and who the different real estate players are. And, you know, you, and you get hired by those players. Um, another reason, frankly, that we uh, make a lot of equity introductions for our clients um, is because we want to get to know the equity players well. Because when an equity player shows up in a deal, um, and maybe they show up in a deal after you've been hired by the sponsor, and maybe the sponsor sourced them by themselves, mm -hmm. um, it's really important as a capital advisor that you have a relationship with that equity partner. Because if you don't, that equity partner could be 90% of the equity in a deal. So they're 90% of your fee as a capital advisor. So they're essentially your boss, even if they didn't sign your engagement agreement. So he who has the gold makes the rules, right? So you want to make sure that those guys know you, that they like you, that they want to work with you. And of course, most importantly, that they think you can execute. So there's many reasons that we do kind of what we do. But I guess to answer your question, it's all sort of private real estate, private equity that we work in. It's not in the public space. I think one of the questions here is when you're dealing with family offices and, and pension funds, uh, you need some sort of leverage and experience. And uh, as uh, with your role as a capital advisor, what is going to be your advice for, uh, I'm going to say like five, six years uh, active syndicator was trying to move to the next step on uh, the move <clears throat> with the bigger deals. What's going to be your advice for those who are trying to have this relationship with family offices, especially that you're going to be the uh, intermediate step between the active syndicator and uh, the family office. Sure. Call us. <laughs> no, sure. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm <laughs> kidding. Uh, well, that too. But um, I think my advice would be uh, you need to be patient. Um, equity isn't like debt. It's not transactional um, and it doesn't happen overnight. Um, building a relationship with someone who's going to write you a five or 10 or $20 million equity check takes time. And I would start trying to build those kind of institutional private equity relationships, whether they're insurance companies, family offices, or private equity funds early, um, get to know as many of them as you can reach out to them. If you see them doing deals, we can help make introductions for folks that need them that we think kind of makes sense. Um, start making those connections early. Um, we we just got back from a conference last week. It's the IMN conference. They have two of them. This one was their West Coast Private Equity Fund Conference. And a big way we use that conference is to just meet new equity partners that we don't know and stay in touch with the equity partners that we do know so that when our clients have a need, we know who to call. And, and I, would I would recommend that sponsors out there try and do as much networking with equity capital as early in the game as they can, so that you're not coming to them saying, hey, I got 30 days to close this deal. Can you write me a $15 million equity check? That almost never happens. You need to spend probably a couple of years, realistically, building these relationships while you continue doing deals and building your syndication track record. So I would really do both in parallel. That is my my best, best, best advice is just start early. I agree on this. 
uh, that building the relationship early is a, is a way with any of the uh, I'm gonna name name them like uh, smaller institutions uh, uh, equity fund or or uh, or source of uh, capital. So regarding uh, because we're working on the multifamily space and we're talking about uh, usual uh, fees for for this kind of service. Uh, like for for example, on syndication, you have like some sort of like acquisition fees for a capital advisor. What usually is uh, as the actual um, fees uh, when you you're, you're part of the deal? Sure. Well, uh, the short answer is it depends. Uh, it depends on a lot of things. It depends on um, what we're being asked to do. It depends on the size of the deal, uh, the complexity of it. Um, do we have a pre-existing relationship with this sponsor? Uh, do we not? Um, and so on and so forth. But I generally say um, on the debt side, it's anywhere from, you know, 1% and then probably scales down. Um, and on the equity side, I don't know, there is a myth out there that capital advisors can make 3% on equity. And, and maybe you can if you're an RIA uh, or you're a syndicator and you're passing the hat. Um, I, I've never seen that type of deal got done. Usually it's some sort of blend, you know, or maybe we'll make one to one and a half percent or one and a quarter percent across the stack or something like that. Um, so it's it's pretty market, I would say, and market driven. And, you know, look, we, we're in the business to make money for sure, but we're not going to gouge our clients. Um, the lifeblood of our business is really relationships and repeat business and guys that we can do deals with, um, you know, for a long period of time. Um, and so our fees kind of reflect that. But it really it really depends, like I said, on what we're being asked to do. I mean, you know, we, we'll, we'll do deals for significantly less than 1% if they're very big and they're a little, a little more garden variety. And then we've done deals where the fee load's been higher than that, where they've been um, extraordinarily difficult and in some cases taking years to complete. So my, my next question will be about the downturn and the recession and because we, we're not yet on the bottom of the market. Uh, from your perspective on, on the private and debt side, how you see the actual uh, implication on uh, the debt side, especially with with yeah. uh, higher LTV right now, uh, um, lower LTV. I'm sorry, lower LTV right now on all of the deals. How you see the implication and how you see the market on the next year or so? Sure. Uh, so great, great question. Tough question. That's the timely question. Um, <laughs> I think I think backing up, we saw a real cooling off in the equity markets in the third quarter of last year. And I think they were faster to react than the lenders. Um, and then in the fourth quarter of last year, we saw a real reaction in the debt markets. And I think it's fair to say that we're in a bit of a liquidity crunch right now, that there just isn't nearly the liquidity in today's capital markets that there was a year ago, not even close. Mm -hmm. It isn't full stop like it was in March and April of 2020. But, but it has significantly slowed down. So deals are still happening. Um, they're harder to do. I joke that we're working three times as hard on, on a third of the pipeline, and that's okay. That's what we're here to do. We, we're the guys that are known that do hard deals, and we really don't give up, uh, which is so fun and awesome. And you, know, you can see a different side of it. It's a good learning experience right now for the young guys also who haven't seen this before because they've only seen an epic bull run, maybe the greatest in history over the last 12 years. Um, but that doesn't answer your question. To answer your question, what does 23 look like? Um, my own view is we sit here at the end of January. I think there's probably two more rate hikes coming, probably 25 basis points each. And then I think it's done. 
And then I think, at least from a federal funds perspective, um, it flatlines for the rest of the year. And we might see tapering probably in the beginning of 24. Um, you may continue to see a rally in longer term rates as they say, you know, hey, we may be in a recession and a slowdown now, but we won't be in five or 10 years. I don't think the yield curve stays inverted forever. And I think we are close to the top of where short-term rates are. Um, I'll give you an example. This is sort of a timely thing. It was interesting. We closed a, a $70 million loan. Um, it was a bridge loan uh, taking out construction financing on a multifamily asset um, here in Los Angeles um, back in December. We priced a rate cap for that deal. It needed a rate cap because it was a floating rate execution. Um, in uh, on uh, in and around Thanksgiving, we initially priced the rate cap, and the rate cap was two points. So two points on a seventy million dollar loan is a million four. Now that is extraordinarily expensive for a rate cap, and that was also multiples of what my fee is. So it made me think I was in the wrong business. Um, regardless, when we closed the loan, I would say before Christmas, in those call it three to four weeks, the rate cap cost had gone down by half. So when we closed it, the rate cap was one point. Um, that's still an extraordinary amount of money just for a rate cap. It's still $700,000. But that's a huge, huge tapering in the cost. For something to go down 50% in four weeks is crazy. Um, so why did it go down? What was the reason? The reason was um, the market started pricing in uh, its belief that we were close to the top of the short-term rate curve and that rates would either stay flat or more than likely short-term rates would go down in the back half of this year and into next year. So it's an interesting thing to watch because rate caps have been a big topic of conversation on floating our loans for construction deals, for bridge deals, um, et cetera. And so that's, that's probably a good sign for the market overall. Um, but with that, look, rates are much higher than they were a year ago. Guys that need to transact, it, it's, it's tougher. Leverage is lower, rates are higher, equity is more scarce. There's a lot of guys talking about preferred equity and subordinate debt structures to rescue deals. Um, there are a lot of guys that think things are going to you know, get short sold by lenders again. So assets might trade less than their, um, their debt amount, their loan amount. And we're actually seeing that in the office space a little bit. We're financing an office deal that looks like that. So I think there's going to be you know, issues in folks' as legacies portfolios. But I also think there's going to be a lot of opportunity uh, for people that have, you know, dry powder, that have capital to um, do new deals, to acquire deals at a lower basis, um, to start construction projects this year where construction costs don't go up and might actually go down three, five, 10 percent. Uh, we're seeing that in some markets already. We're not seeing it in all markets yet. But I actually think it's a great time to start a construction project this year because uh, you will benefit from reduced construction prices. Um, and I think a lot of people are going to shelve projects because equity and debt are so expensive and scarce right now. And so you'll deliver into a market that doesn't have a lot of supply. It's harder to get it off the ground from a capital perspective. But if you can, I think you get rewarded. And look, historically, when you look beyond the past few years, which have been amazingly frothy, I think those are the people that have gotten rewarded. I think people who started projects, you know, post.com, post-GFC, and there was a lot of uncertainty out there and maybe they got less leverage and they paid more for debt and they had to backfill with more equity. It was more expensive, but they delivered their development projects in 2013, 2014, 2015. They did really well uh, because of that. And so I think I think 23 is going to look look a lot that way.
regarding the debt side, I see a lot of uh, uh, like a big shift to more the fix the fixed rate. Other than the, the trend on twenty, sure. especially on twenty two, was the, the floating rate or the interest yeah. only rate. So, what is the reasoning of this in your opinion? That sure. the, the market shift only to the fixed rate, other than the floating rate, and using the cab, the cab rate. Sure, um, it's a great question. Uh, I think the big reason is just all the volatility in rates. Rates. I mean, we had like you know, 500 basis points in rate hikes that occurred in the back half of last year. That was unprecedented. And when people started seeing that or were going through it, they're like, having a floating rate loan is crazy because my interest rate can go up so high. And then the cost of rate caps got really expensive. Like I mentioned, I mean, two points for a cap, it used to be 20 basis points. Like it went up, you know, like a thousand percent or something, uh, which is which is crazy. Um, and so folks were like, forget it, you know, I'll take fixed rate financing anywhere I can because it locks my rate, gives me certainty on what my debt service is going to be. And I don't have to pay the added cost of a rate cap. Um, it was a little unfortunate is that fixed rate financing kind of dried up in the market in the last six months of last year. Um, and it's, 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 it's kind of coming back a little bit. Um, but when folks needed it most, it kind of wasn't there in, in a widespread fashion. And I think it's still nice now because rate caps are still expensive. But I also think that ironically, it's a little late now because I think we're close to the end of the rate hikes. Could be wrong. Um, so it may be less necessary in reality. But from an optic standpoint, I think almost all sponsors want fixed rate financing on every type of deal, except maybe permanent financing because it's so expensive, but on bridge and construction financing all day long um, in a vacuum, all other things being equal, they would take fixed rate financing over floating rate financing just because of the recent past yeah. and what happened with rate hikes going up so much. And look, there were lenders that were getting, um, I think a little bit aggressive less conservative, let's say, and allowing guys to close loans without rate caps, but with springing obligations, if rates hit a certain level to buy them, and those springing obligations ended up being very, very expensive, way more expensive than anybody thought. So fixed rate loan, you don't have to deal with any of that. So there's the big, big advantage in that respect. I think the only downside of the fixed rate is going to be the actual uh, the lower LTV that you're going to need to raise more equity side. Yeah. Well, that and you could be stuck in a deal for three or five years and rates might drop on you, right? Yes. It's, a, it's, it's a bet like anything else. Both floating and fixed rate deals are bets, in my opinion. And if rates go back down to 3% and you're stuck in a 6 or a 7% fixed rate loan or even a 5% fixed rate loan, you don't, you don't feel great about life. Whereas if you closed a 3% fixed rate loan, you know, back in January of last year, now you feel great about life. So it's really it's really just a bet on where you think things will go. My last question will be, I, for me, I love King of Capital book about uh, private equity fund and how is Blackstone has been uh, uh, been in rise and fall. In your yeah. opinion, what is a really book you like or change your mindset regarding uh, capital and raising capital in general? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, what is a book that has changed my mindset uh, regarding capital in general? Um, uh, I think, is it a book called The Real Estate Game? I think that's kind of like the Bible. 
that kind of it stated that everyone should read that game. It's been around for a long time. And, and especially for guys who are just kicking off their real estate careers, I, I'd recommend that. I mean, it's both kind of finance um, and real estate. Um, so I, I, I think, I think that's the one that probably, you know, impacted me most beyond that. Um, I listen to a lot of books on audible when I run and, and I've learned a lot, even from non-real estate books, like two books that I love, uh, were, um, you know, Reed Hastings book on Netflix and Bob Iger's book on Disney. So those are obviously outside of like real estate and capital, but those are books written by obviously super prominent CEOs that have you know very different views on how companies should be run and scaled. But both of them built like and helped scale incredible companies. So maybe those are the three that I would recommend for uh, for different reasons. Good stuff. Great information about the equity and debt part, especially with the recession and a speculation of what is going to happen in twenty twenty three. My yeah. part will be how people can reach you and follow uh, uh follow your success sure well i appreciate that um you can reach me on linkedin uh i've got a lot of followers and i try to be as uh diligent with follow-up on messages on dms as possible um i tweet a lot at least i used to tweet more and i'm going to start tweeting a lot um you can go to our website waycapital.com w-a-y capital.com i think my cell phone number and my email address are up there um, you can also email me, um, and it's Z-S-T-R-E-I-T at waycapital.com. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty eminently reachable. Guys in my role um, tend to want to be. And look, we're, we're always happy to have conversations um, and to help guys scale in kind of any ways that we can. So for folks that uh, they are interested in kind of learning more, you know, or if I can help you, uh, not you, but any of your audience career-wise, <laughs> then um, I'm, I'm here to be a resource. It's a great, a really great subject. I, I know it's for sure. And we <clears> have <throat> to bring again to talk more about the private equity fund subject. Yeah. And I really appreciate your time today. Yeah, thanks, Adam. Appreciate it also.